Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. Oh, here we are again. What have you got for us? Well, I imagine with the energy crisis and all, you are having some difficulty heating your swimming pool. I am. Yes, yes. Well, you yeah. have to compete with all the sparrows and the blackbirds and the other ones trying to use it. It's very small. This is a bird bath, isn't it? Well, yes. Less <laughs> yes. expensive to well, heat than a big swimming pool. But yeah. People who do have swimming pools, particularly local authorities who have swimming pools, are having difficulty heating them because the cost of the fuel to heat them has gone up hugely. There yes. could be an answer. There's a tech startup called Deep Green who have done an experiment at Exmouth Leisure Centre where they've put a data processing centre underneath the swimming pool. Oh, great, if the the swimming pool doesn't doesn't spring a leak. Yes, that is certainly (laughs) to be hoped. But the point is that computers, particularly data centres, generate vast amounts of heat. And this is why people like Facebook and Twitter have their data centres in the Arctic Circle. Yes, you talked cool. about before, yes. I have indeed. Well, what this is doing is it's heating the water in the swimming pool. At the same time, the water in the pool is cooling down the data centre. That is quite clever. It is. I don't quite know how they get it underneath the swimming pool, but evenly they have to empty the pool and dig a hole in the bottom and then put the data centre in. And I suppose they need some kind of tunnel to get down to it and then hope it doesn't leak, as you say. Yes. Anyway, they're doing 20 more this year. Because yeah. it's uh, such a good idea and so effective. But it does seem that if data centres produce so much heat, that actually putting them near people who need heat is quite a good idea. Though I guess if you don't have the water to mm. cool you down, that might not be quite as useful. Well, yes. I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea. And let's, let's hope that they carry on doing it. Because it, yes. it will certainly So, yeah, you know, it's put nuclear reactors right by swimming pools. That, that'll work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, you can even 24 hours then, because you, yes. you can see at night. Exactly, and I think depleted the uranium the actually keeps, uh, would, would keep a pool heated up for about half a billion years, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Mm. So there we are. Oh. Anyway, talking of computers, the UK is investing £900 million in their new computer, which is terribly exciting. It's they're not just going to PC World to buy this computer. I have to point <laughs> well, that out. Yes, well, yes, they often, yes, it's always possible to not to look at the receipt until you realize how much you spent. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is an exascale computer, which means it's capable of performing exaflops. Now, yeah, flops, right. as you know, are floating operations per second. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I was rather thinking of, of Fosbury, the, the high jumper who's just died, who invented uh, the Fosbury they... flop, but that's a different sort of flop. That's a different kind of flop, in, in, entirely different. What yeah. the exa means is that this computer will be capable of performing one billion billion calculations per second, which is a lot of calculations. It is. What are mm. they going to use it for? 
well, the thing is, there's only one of these in the world at the moment. It's in the United States. Hmm. So this will be the second one. And it's it's very good for particularly for generating large language models for creating things like chat GPT. Brit GPT, I think they're they're calling it, but also for anything that requires processing huge amounts of data, such as mm. climate prediction, such as defense analysis, that kind of thing. We need a lot of data crunched very, very mm. quickly. And uh, when it comes online, it will be the, only the second one such in the world, which is really quite a clever thing, isn't it? Yes. I sort mm. of, yes. I doubt it'll what? work properly because whenever <laughs> we spend enormous amounts of money on anything, it never seems to work. Well, but yes, it's wonderful. On top of it, tell me again what flops stand for. Floating operations per second. Right. Oh, okay. So, talking of the exascale computer and indeed large language model, Bing hmm. has just passed the hundred million daily users a month mark. And if anyone had told me even a few months ago that Bing would be uh, taking in 100 million users a month. Yeah. I just said, don't be ridiculous. No one uses Bing. And that's because, of course, a chat GPT. GPT, incidentally, stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. While mm. we're on the subject of saying what things stand for. Right. Well, it's had a big upgrade this year to GPT-4, which is, they describe it as more creative less likely to make up facts. I don't think you can put those two things together in one sentence, can you? <laughs> anyway, what it can do that the old GPT 3.5 couldn't do was uh, two main things. Firstly, it can work with documents up to 20,000 words. So you could, for example, give it a, a technical paper, paper from a learned journal, mm. and say, write an abstract of this on one side of A4, and it would do mm. it for you. You can also make it work with images. And an example of their demo was someone giving them a sketch, hand-drawn sketch of a website, and then it went away and built the website based on that sketch. Good grief. Good grief indeed. Well, given Clever that you stuff. design websites, you can't be very pleased with that sort of um, development. I think it'll, well, I think it'll be a while before... You know, okay. for people like me. But uh, people have always said that. Medieval monks said that when they were <laughs> yes. writing manuscripts. Oh, we'll never replace us. Yes. And there's an interesting, there's a language app called Duolingo, which you may have used. It's a very popular I have app used, for learning yes. languages. And it's using AI um, in order to produce uh, conversations in both French and Spanish, which is now capable of explaining the mistakes that users have made not just saying there's a mistake, but explaining why they made that mistake. Oh, which is one of the disadvantages of Duolingo that exists at the moment, yes. Yes, which is very clever. Okay. There is a warning on GPT-4, which is that it still hallucinates. <laughs> oh, well, that's the trouble. There's all that substances that the computer programmers are sort of uh, ingesting at various exactly. times of day when they're tired. Yes, obviously well, it could be that vast swimming pool on top of it. That yes. can't help. Yes. So how does this hallucination manifest itself? Making things up. Mm. So I I put my wife's name into uh, ChatGPT and said, uh, who is this person? And it came up with an extraordinary biography, the first three or four paragraphs of which were right on the button. The mm. last two paragraphs were complete fantasy and, <laughs> and made up things that she'd never done and people she'd never met. Did you? Was yeah. she pleased? Are there the things she'd have liked to have done? They perhaps, were things Perhaps she would like predict in the future. Yeah. Perhaps it's predicted in the future. Oh, that would be scary. It's that so would. clever. It sort of leapt through, leapt forward 10 years 
Had a quick yes, look indeed. at her biography then and come back again. Hmm. Oh, well. So, let's, but let's I'm you're obviously not going to tell us exactly what it was. So let's have one of these and then we'll move on. So from hallucinating um, GBT uh, machines, on to what? On to paint. Do you, what oh. do you paint your, your walls with? Decorators, usually. <laughs> I am going to have a go myself, but um, it's, I'm not sure I've ever done it before. So it's and what be will you use? Uh, well, I will use paint. Oh, how 2022. Well, well as you know, I'm not always the first to, uh, to uh, try out with new paint. ideas. The trouble with paint is made from artificial synthetic pigments. Mm. It fades and it's very uneco-friendly to manufacture. What you need is plasmotic paint, for plasmonic paint. Right. And what okay. plasmonic paint does is Do they it have this mimics, in B and Q? Not yet, but they oh, will. Okay. Right. It mimics uh, the effect of butterfly wings. So butterfly wings, brilliant colours, and they don't fade mm -hmm. until the butterfly dies. I suppose then they 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 collapse into a pile of crumbs and what they're doing is having the paint will include tiny flakes of aluminium coated in aluminium oxide and it fluoresces and by changing the spacing and the size of the flakes of aluminium mm -hmm. they can make them cyan magenta or yellow and so by combining them just like uh, printing, they can produce any colour out of cyan, magenta and yellow. Clever. Yes, this is an initiative from the University of Central Florida. And one of the other good things about it is that you don't need very much of it. So they gave an example is if you want to paint a jumbo jet, as I'm sure you do frequently. <laughs> yes, yes. If you want to paint it, it takes one and a half kilograms of plasmonic paint compared to 450 kilograms of regular paint. So you only need a very, yeah. very thin coating of it. Yeah. The other good thing is it reflects the entire light spectrum. So it absorbs very little heat so that the surfaces covered in this paint are then between 14 and 17 degrees cooler than they would have been with regular paint. Well, so okay, they should be using it usually using it in all those data processing centers as well. Though. They absolutely should. So this is um, uh, it's a very good thing. It's currently more expensive to make than regular paint, of course, but you only need a yes. tiny amount of it. So it it does look if they manage to actually manufacture this stuff in bulk, it could be a really good thing. You don't need a little pot of pot of paint to cover your entire wall with, or indeed mm. your entire jumbo jet. I can be fairly sure the names of the paint will still be utterly ridiculous as they are at present. They are utterly ridiculous. And they go with fashion, have you noticed? So every in the 70s, everything was magnolia. And then mm. the oh, people that like magnolia, let's call it cream. And then mm. let's call it oyster. Then they called it ecru. And I think now it's called taupe. But they're all the same thing, really, aren't they? Yes. I, I've never moved on from magnolia myself. You haven't. No, no. <laughs> you stick with magnolia. <laughs> okay. Yes. So okay. Kate, of course, um, performs uh, a protective feature as well as uh, just looking pretty. But suppose you're somewhere that's windswept, rainswept, perhaps battered by sea storms, such as, for example, the whiskey distillery on the Isle of Jura. Uh, up in oh, I, I'd, like, I'd like to imagine I'm there. Yes, yes, please. I'm sure you would. Yes. 
And so they have to keep on repainting their distillery because it keeps getting battered by the elements. Yes. Well, there could be a solution, thanks to the University of Hertfordshire, which is a lime wash loaded with bacteria. Now, you might not think that's a very good idea, but it's some very clever bacteria. Uh, it's microbes that photosynthesize, and as they're doing it, they absorb carbon dioxide, and they turn it into carbon calcium carbonate, which forms a protective layer on the outside of the paint. Mm -hmm. And these bacteria, they breed, they make more bacteria, and they keep on doing this. So as long as it's there, they keep on covering it in calcium carbonate. Isn't that clever? I don't quite understand. How does that help? Well, it protects the the, the oh, paint. Okay. The surface. I don't from know what calcium elements. carbonate is. I I flunked chemistry, so I'm always very um, well. It's a kind of uh, chalky surface covering. Okay. So isn't and, that going to look like a chalky? But isn't it going to look like a chalky surface covering? And well, you could always whack a quick coat of plasmonic paint over the top, but then you can have it oh. any colour you like. Oh, I see. Okay, fine. Well, I'm sure it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's fantastic. And is this actually being applied in the under distillery in the Isle of Jura? Was that just they are doing example? it in July? Oh, well, that's that's very exciting. Time to dry and time for the bacteria to wake up and to start photosynthesizing. <laughs> okay, and then they'll well, know let's... by the winter if it's working or not. Okay, let's briefly pause and then we'll get on to some more of the latest gadgets and gizmos. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Simon Rose talking to Steve Kaplan. Well, he's doing most of the talking. We're talking gadgets and gizmos. And we have been talking about bacteria that photosynthesize carbon dioxide to make car calcium carbonate. No, calcium carbonate. Calcium carbonate. Yes, yes. No, they absorb carbon dioxide. Oh, right, okay. I, I told you I was no good at chemistry. <laughs> Clearly. Well, more news from the world of clever bacteria. Uh, there's a bacteria called Microbacterium smegmatis, which is its real name, but is rather well, a confusing name, right. which lives in the soil. And it, when it's nothing around for it to eat, it eats hydrogen out of the air, which is really clever because the amount of hydrogen in the atmosphere is 0.00005%. So a very, mm. very, very small amount of hydrogen but it manages to survive on that. Well, a team at Monash University in Australia have found a way of persuading Mycobacterium smegmatis to turn the hydrogen into electricity. Wow. Yes. Wow, indeed. But hang wow, on, if, it's, if there's, so little, there's so little of it, do we want bacteria to be eating it? Well, the hydrogen doesn't actually do us any good in the atmosphere we're not really aware of it being there right they call it huck which i don't know what it stands for but it's a battery that never runs out so the idea That's is they make batteries out of these bacteria they could just literally produce electricity from thin air wow and wow, perpetual indeed. motion and perpetual motion finally and perpetual motion finally yes 
Good gracious. I mean, they can only make tidy months of electricity so far, but it is, you know, early days. And okay. this thing could, could eventually be scaled. Well, that's quite ex- extraordinary. It is quite extraordinary, isn't it? I thought you'd like that one. Yes, yes. Well, I hope I'm around to see it being applied. I hope you are. <laughs> I think we should move on now to our crowdfunding time of the week. In that case, have this. Right. I know you always sort of slow down to make sure I can reach the thing, I but do. you've got always hand signal to me, you know. What will be the hand signal very silly hand signal. I don't know. Something like that, and I'll know you need me to press the button. Okay. Okay, it would be confusing for our for our listeners then, because they wouldn't know I was doing it. That's not no, well, I can really put the video up online and they can have a good laugh as well. Right, it's probably, it's probably good. So, so crowdfunding. So you're sitting there in your office wearing a scarf. I noticed because, of course, you I don't am. heat your whole house during the day when there's just you sitting there, and don't your hands get cold? Uh, sometimes I have granny gloves, quite a, which I wear quite a lot. Those fingerless gloves. Yes. That's yes. one solution. Another solution might be the Varma hand heater. Oh. The Varma hand heater has two arms which go at uh, more or less right angles to each other, and it mm. sits above your keyboard. Built into it are four infrared LED heaters in each arm. And it uses just 42 watts, which is actually not very many watts at all. Mm. And it warms your hands up because it plays over your keyboard. Isn't that clever? Yes. I mean... Varma is from the Danish meaning heat. And I wasn't at all sure how to pronounce Varma. So I asked Google and it said, oh, yes, you pronounce it like this. Varm. Right. I could think I could say that even if I tried Varm. Varm. It's tricky, isn't it? Well, I think you just think um, of the Swedish chef in The Muppets. It sounds a bit like that. Exactly. (laughs) It sounds just like that. So this is invented by a guy called Michael Hildegard. Well, it's Mm. spelt Michael Hildegard, but of course it's pronounced like this. So hang on. Uh... Mikael Hildegard. Now, who would have thought that Hildegard is pronounced Hildegard? (laughs) Yes. But how do we know how reliable that is? Well, we assume we, it's a You could ask Bing, which would just make something up. It'd probably be quite believable. Yeah, I think it probably would. But <laughs> the thing is, Mikkel Hugo spells his surname with two A's. Two A's bunched together. But since he doesn't actually use either of them when he's pronouncing his name, we wonder why he bothers with, yes. uh, with all let's of hear, anyway. Let's hear it just again. Mikkel Hugo. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think, anyway. I think she thinks there's only one A in there. Maybe she does. So, anyway, uh, Mr. Hugo... Uh, was in Vyborg Cathedral in Jutland when he got talking to them and they told him that every time their organist wanted to practice, they had to heat up the whole church. Hmm. So he invented this... uh, To say it again? (laughs) Oh, hang on a second. Where are we going back to? Here we go. Vam. Vam. That's the one. So he invented the Vam to warm the organist's hands. Then he thought, hang on a minute. I can sell this to ordinary people, and he is doing it to ordinary people on Indiegogo for two hundred and seven euros, one hundred and eighty quid or thereabouts, which is actually quite a lot. For uh, yes, though you could see for a, for a church well. wanting to beat the organist, that probably is quite reasonable. I have to say, yes. St James's and Basil Church in Fenham in Newcastle, they never heated their church when I wanted to practice the organ, nor did they allow me to put any lights on apart from the one light above the organ loft. 
it's pretty creepy in a church at night, I'll have you know. Lots of creaks and things. I got Even spooked. creepier with a lone organist playing <laughs> yes. you know, uh, whatever, yes. uh, whatever you were playing on the organ. What were you playing on the organ? I can't remember. I was only just learning how to do it, so nothing nothing very sophisticated. Okay. No bark to garden and fugues yet. Oh, okay. And well, I think it's a clever idea, organ. but as you say, it's not very cheap. It's not very cheap. So another segue from playing organ. We're full of segues this week. I hope you've noticed. <laughs> you do like segues. You have often complained about how uh, Alexa is particularly bad at playing classical music. Yes, as have you. Yeah. Yes, because it is. You say, you know, play uh, Mozart's 21st Piano Concerto, and it might play a bit of it. It might play just one movement, but you can't mm. persuade it to play the whole thing. No, and didn't you once and say you've got an Elvis Presley version of something classical when you tried? I seem to recall that in dim and distant I past. did, no, it wasn't something classical. I was asking it to play, I can't remember what it was, but it gave me an Elvis Presley yeah, version yeah. rather than the version that everyone knows, and I couldn't persuade it to do otherwise. Well, Apple Music Classical, they'll probably come up with a best snappier title than that. I Bach, perhaps. <laughs> and they are... that, that's a very good name, yes. Thank you. I've said it now. I've said it now. I can patent it. Um, <laughs> they are will be streaming, they say, later this month with five million tracks. The, the problem, of course, is it's very difficult to navigate classical music. You know, mm. If you say, play White Christmas, you're likely to get Bing Crosby. You might get the Beatles version or yes. half a dozen others. If you ask it to play, for example, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, mm. there are 1,658 different versions. Of 1,659, if you have the Peter Schickley wonderful one, which is uh, football commentators commentating on Beethoven's Fifth, which is one of my favourite oh, comedy records. I've, oh, I'll send it to you later. But I've I've deviated. I'm sorry, man. I shouldn't have done because I'm quite interested in okay. this. I'm particularly interested because presumably classical music lovers are a very small part of the whole um, potential audience for streamed music. They are, but they are an ignored part of mm. it. So I think they will be rubbing their hands with glee, or perhaps they don't need to if they have one of these hand warmers we just talked about. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The problem Vroom. is how people will get <laughs> how people will get paid, how the artists will get paid. So at the moment, if you put a pop song up on Spotify, then you'll be paid an average of a quarter of a hundredth of a penny every time someone has a listen to your song. Yeah, if there's 100 but members of this, your orchestra, that's going to be much. Well, and also a pop song lasts about three minutes, mm. but uh, a symphony can last an hour or more. Mm. So the problem is how they're actually we're going to work out a, a payment system, and I don't know how they're going to do it yet, and I don't think they know how they're going to do it yet. But anyway, stay tuned. Watch this space as uh, well. Listen to this space. Can you listen to space? Listen to this. Listen to this radio station. There yes. we go. Well, um, if you've got a way of recording it, no doubt when you're you're probably going to try it the moment it actually um, certainly appears yes. in the real world, and you will almost immediately find its disadvantages, which we will make fun of when you we return. will absolutely. Yes, absolutely do that. I will. I will test it to its breaking point. <laughs> okay, fine. So, um, what now? Well, let's move on to uh, wind turbines. Mm. Now, wind turbines, they, those things up on the very tall platforms, you know, very tall towers with the spinning arms. Yes. We know what I, we I know where they are. are. Yes. Well, the, the thing about wind turbines is that they are limited by the cost of transporting that very tall column there. The mm. blades are, are bad enough, but the column, of course, is much, much taller. Well, there's a company called Keystone Tower Systems in Denver, who 
have a really clever way that they've done of manufacturing those towers on site. And what they do is they manufacture them in a spiral, rather like the inside of a loo roll or indeed a, mm-hmm. a package of Pringles. So you know how they take a spiral yes, piece yes, of cardboard yes. into one thing. Well, they're going to do that with uh, metal. They will manufacture continuous sheets of metal, which they will then wind on a spiral spindle. And they say it's 10 times faster than conventional means of manufacturing these towers and requires 80% less manpower. That seems extraordinary Never. and very useful. The only, well, the only downside is... Every time you want to put a wind turbine up, it takes them a month to build the factory on site. Ah. Oh. So there is, yes. Well, except I mean, many turbines are built near other ones, so presumably so you have to have one factory for each turbine, or can you do quite a few of them at one go? You can probably do quite a few of them yeah. and, and carry them around. Of course, the other limiting thing in this country is that apparently anybody putting any form of um, electricity generation into place, be it wind or anything else, can't get connected to the national grid for years now. Apparently, it's it's oh. you know, it's full. So I've right? seen umpty, I've seen umpty articles now about people complaining that, that you know what's the what's the point in trying to generate electricity because you can't get it into the system, which just oh. seems extraordinary. However, um, I quite like the idea of watching a spiral wind turbine being constructed. I think it would be but the, the stop motion video yeah. will be definitely well worth watching. But that is it. Absolutely, for it this edition. Of Gadget and Gizmos. My thanks to Steve Kaplan. I'm Simon Rose. See, I remembered this week. And uh, we'll be back with more <laughs> of the same. Uh, well, not the same, of course, different, but more Gadget and Gizmos at the same time next week. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's Gadgets and Gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose.